This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 8th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. A few months since the president doubled down with vocal support for Saudi Arabia, the new Saudi crown prince is undertaking a startling and dramatic shakeup in economic modernization, in leadership and institutions of the country, including arrests of senior royals. What does all that mean for the U.S. relationship? Cato Research Fellow Emma Ashford comments. What do we know about the relationship between the Saudis and uh, Donald Trump? Since he came into office, Donald Trump has alienated almost every country in the world, whether they're U.S. allies or adversaries. Um, With the exception of Saudi Arabia, Donald Trump has had a really good relationship with King Salman and in particular with his son, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, Trump had a very successful visit to the region earlier in the year. We know that Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, visited Saudi Arabia just last week. And in general, Trump has seemed pretty content to basically back any policy move that the Saudis want to make. All right. So what does this house cleaning, describe what has occurred and and what does it mean for uh, relations with the United States, if anything? House cleaning is is certainly a nice way to put it. Um, So over the weekend, unexpectedly, um, a number of senior Saudi royals and major businessmen inside the kingdom were arrested on corruption charges. And the corruption uh, body that that was created to stamp out corruption was created the same day the arrests happened. So most observers are assuming that this was far less about corruption and far more about helping to cement the young prince's power um, and in particular perhaps um, trying to help him roll through his uh, diversification and economic improvement projects. Um, So the captured princes and businessmen have all been taken and they're being held in the Ritz-Carlton hotel in Riyadh, um, and the arrests are still ongoing. So this is a major shakeup for Saudi society. So I, I remember um, I talked to Chris Preble a while back, and he was talking about the how many foreign ministers the Saudi government had over 75 years. And I believe it was a total of three people, uh, one of whom served twice in 70 plus years. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, the gentleman in question would be Prince Turkey bin Faisal, uh, who um, served as foreign minister for many years. Um, so things tend not to change in Saudi Arabia very frequently. Um, that has all changed, however, in the last three years. Since King Solomon came to the throne... Uh, a couple of years ago, he and in particular this this young son, Mohammed bin Salman, have really been determined to shake up Saudi society, Saudi politics. Um, he's proposed this really dramatic economic diversification project. He's basically hoping to get the Saudi economy off of oil. Uh, within the next 30 years. He's proposed major social changes, things like finally allowing women to drive or to get uh, jobs, all of which is a major change. And then on the foreign policy side of the equation, um, he's taken some very impetuous, rash steps, starting a war in Yemen, um, saber-rattling with Iran, initiating a blockade against Qatar, uh, another member of the GCC. And so all of this is very different from the way Saudi foreign politics has traditionally been done, which is kind of slow and steady, everybody all agreeing and getting around a consensus, and then we finally move forward. 
Is this something the U.S. administration has said anything about? Do they do they favor a lot of these changes or not? The Trump administration has at least tacitly approved of this um call it a purge, call it a house cleaning that happened this weekend. Um, Donald Trump spoke with King Solomon on Saturday this weekend, right as as these arrests were occurring. um, And the readout that was released by the White House showed no mention of the the events unfolding in Saudi Arabia. Instead, it just praised the king for his wise leadership and how he's trying to combat extremism inside Saudi Arabia. And so the White House has, um, if not publicly given the nod to the Saudi leadership on this, they are certainly implying that they very much support it. So the United States has sort of a weird relationship with Saudi Arabia. And and one of the things that a lot of people like to point out is, you know, we went, the United States went to a war in Afghanistan, in Iraq, uh, a whole bunch of the hijackers from 9-11 were Saudis. The United States has a weird sort of, uh, we provide a lot of logistical support for defense that the Saudis engage in for themselves. Does any of this implicate some sort of change with respect to the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia when it comes to uh, providing them so much uh, assistance? You know, I think actually under President Obama, we started to see the beginning of a long-term shift in the U.S.-Saudi relationship. And this had been coming for many years. As, as you say, we, we've had these problems with the Saudis over the years. We go all the way back to the Cold War, and they were very helpful in funding the Afghan Mujahideen. And they did that at our behest. Um, and that eventually came back to haunt us with the growth of al-Qaeda. But the Saudis were very good friends and very helpful clients during the Cold War. In the post-Cold War period, however, they've done many of these things that are not necessarily good for U.S. foreign policy. Their behavior in the region, um, the fact that they're spreading this really hardline version of Islam throughout not just the Middle East, but also in the West. And I think the fact that the balance of power was shifting in the Middle East led the Obama administration to not perhaps withdraw support from Saudi Arabia, but start to consider how U.S. foreign policy would look with a more balanced approach to the region where we started to talk to the Iranians and we didn't just rely on and work with the Saudis. Um, Donald Trump has basically reversed that entirely. He has doubled down on support for Saudi Arabia. He has basically cut the Saudis a blank check in terms of they're allowed to do whatever they want to do in the region. Um, And so this, I think, is probably a a pause in this longer-term shift of U.S. foreign policy moving away from Saudi Arabia. Trump seems pretty determined that we will keep a very close relationship. How does this uh, attempt at economic diversity uh, in Saudi Arabia, which at at first blush sounds to me like probably a really, really good idea, um, how does that threatened to change the U.S. relationship there specifically? Frankly, U.S. policymakers are pretty thrilled about the idea of economic diversification in Saudi Arabia. And and I, I think you're right. It's a great idea. It's something that really needs to be done. The Saudi economy is a fairly typical oil-dependent economy, which is to say they have no real other industries, uh, very few businesses outside of the oil industry. 
the population has a high proportion of unemployment, partly because women rarely work, but also partly because they have a lot of young people and nowhere to employ them. Um, and the government basically gives out a lot of oil rents to the population through various social programs. So Saudi Arabia is a very typical moribund oil economy. This diversification program, if it works, has the potential to improve all of that. Um, and the, the Crown Prince has supported a number of initiatives, including trying to attract more investment into the kingdom, including offering some of Saudi Aramco's shares, that's the Saudi oil company, as an, uh, an IPO, uh, and then using some of the financial returns from that to substitute for oil wealth over a number of years. And so these are fairly innovative ideas. The question is whether he can carry them through and actually finish the process. And we've already seen some backsliding on this. We've seen the Saudi government reinstate um, some social benefits that they had previously cancelled after there was popular outcry. And we've seen them sort of suggest some really obscure, outlandish steps like that they will build a new city in the desert and it will be primarily run by robots. Um, so there is an element of showmanship to this as well. And so while I think most Western policymakers and Western observers would be thrilled to see this diversification plan go through, there are real doubts as to whether it can actually succeed. In terms of these uh, these arrests, um, I, I called it a house cleaning. You thought those, that term might be a little uh, soft in terms of what is actually going on uh, there. How much of this is actual crime that's that's been committed and that everyone would recognize as a crime? And how much of that is just sort of uh, challenging the, the throne? That's a really great question. Um, and, and it gets to this question of what is corruption in a society, in a country where there is no legal distinction between government revenues and the royal family's wealth. And so we're used to this idea that, you know, government leaders shouldn't profit from the positions they hold, um, that they should try and keep their business interests separate. That's not at all the case in Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia, oil revenues and state incomes are effectively the royal family's wealth. Um, and they choose how to distribute it, whether it's through government agencies or whether it's through payments to the around 5,000 members of the royal family. So these individuals uh, who were arrested um, are, have basically been judged by the leadership to be using their wealth in a corrupt fashion. But what we don't know is what that actually means. We don't know um, whether it's just the crown defining Corruption is something that's convenient to it. And it certainly seems, if you look at these arrests, you look at how quickly they were done, you look at the fact that planes were grounded, um, you look at the fact that the wealth of all of these people has been seized and given back to the government. What we It looks a lot more like is a political purge than any sort of actual anti-corruption program. Emma Ashford is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 